Kevin, and uh, I am Pastor Kevin, and uh, it's good to see you all out here this morning. And uh, as we sang and, and thought about that, I was like, man, that song's my week. <laughs> Highs and lows, and uh, uh, we lost a very dear cousin this week, so I'll be gone in a few weeks with uh, my father and sister to that uh, celebration of life, very godly man. And so uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's this call to follow. Jesus, I believe and I will follow you in the good times and the bad. And so by way of introduction today, I just want you to stop and think about your week. How was it following Christ this past week? What was it like for you? What were the challenges you had this past week in choosing to follow Christ? Was it a decision to make, something to trust him in, Maybe uh, the challenge came from somebody in your life that was really testing your character um, and your attitude. Uh, we've been in this book of First Peter, and just to get everybody on the same page, uh, Peter talks about, and really the theme we've grabbed of the many in here is that we're to be unoffendable. And, uh, you know, sometimes you go through a series and you've got this theme, and I think it's good to stop and ask and say, how did I do this week? Did I choose to not be offended by something someone said or to get more information? Something I read or a post I saw get me angry and stirred up, or I gave in to that emotion. Uh, am I offended at somebody right now, or am I offended at Pastor Kevin? Let me know. As we, as we begin to think through and walk through this, the, the whole point of us following Christ is following Christ. And, and we come on Sundays to be refreshed, and I want you to be filled up and encouraged by the music and the fellowship and the message and equipped. And then there's these days where we, we go and we are to follow Jesus and to see our lives transformed. That's what we believe God does. He transforms. He changes lives. And in the midst of this series, um, we said in our culture now, there, there's a new question really uh, surrounding us. Some new questions. And, um, and some of those are, um, I think I skipped over it. There we go. Um, but this is whether Christianity is true. That used to be the question, just can you prove it? But now the, the question really is, is it good? Is it moral? Is it right? Is it good for our society to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are they the bad people? The ones that bring down our culture, that bring down our society, that, that hate and promote hate? Does it create divides and hatred and prejudice, or is it beneficial? You know, Christians used to be uh, label this, well, those are the do-gooders, the ones that are more moral than everybody, and they look down on others. Now it's even moral people that fit what the culture believes is good. And so uh, we've been looking at, uh, Peter laid down this whole foundation of why, why we're to have hope, why we're to uh, be unoffendable, and then uh, he shifted, and he's been in this how, and we've been in the how the last few weeks, uh, and we will get over back to verse 7. Men, you're not off the hook next week. But we already had this service lined up with our things. So we're preaching through First Peter 3 today. Um, and as we look at that, 
and uh, we talk about that. Um, I want us to just continue to think through uh, these statements that we've been looking at. You see, the reason we're supposed to be unoffendable ultimately is because God chose not to be offended by our sin because Jesus died on the cross as a ransom for you and I. And we always return to the cross. We go back to the gospel, to Jesus, and remember who he is and what he chose to do and what he accomplished for us in order to get perspective when life shifts and things change around us. And so it, when we came across these readings and we listened this morning to one of the best sermons, probably the best sermon ever preached, uh, called the Sermon on the Mount is what we read from in Matthew 5. It was a sermon that didn't have a handy microphone, didn't have a stage or lights, <laughs> didn't, as far as we know, didn't have any worship uh, music tied in with it, but it was impactful. And Jesus covered a lot of ground. And can you imagine listening and just hearing all these blessings he's pouring out, looking at the crowd, people of all walks of life, saying, blessed are you. You're going to inherit the kingdom. There's hope for you. And then he begins to shift, and, and he really tackles tough issues of marriage and lust. And, and then he, he, he looks at them, and he says, you know, the commandment to love your neighbor. And, you know, there's things that you hate. And, and they had the Old Testament scrolls, and they could look in and see that there was hate towards evil. And Jesus turns it on its head, and he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And some have said that is one of the most difficult and unfair commands Jesus has ever given us. <laughs> to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That is not easily done. We can't just get up and choose to do that. This is, it seems so unreasonable and and we read in the Bible, we're going to face persecution and trials of many kinds. We're to consider them pure joy. But man, it is even harder when that trial comes in the form of a person that is directly against you. It could be a family member. It could be a government official. It's easy to kind of put this off in the distance of some of those big offendable things and offendable crowds or people that in general don't like us, but really this is a personal command. We're not talking about loving people online or on the TV, away from you, but people who treat you unkindly, hurt you, even those who may persecute you in some way. And so it's a pretty big question uh, we asked this morning is how? How do we live undefendable lives and how do we love our enemies? Because it is not natural. I cannot choose to love my enemy. And my, Kevin can't get up and do that. <laughs> I can't do it. It just doesn't come naturally. Everything in me pushes against this statement. It's not easy. And so Peter here begins to flesh this out and begins to talk about this and walk us through this. And in Peter 3 eight and nine, he's really talking about loving your enemy and giving us a, a way to apply it and look at it in life. And he says, finally, 
All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And so Peter here uh, is addressing us and, and he's telling us, you know, don't repay evil for evil. Don't revile. Uh, and revile means simply to put, don't return insult for insult. If you get insulted, don't respond with an insult and just get in that crazy cycle of going back and forth with somebody, trying to put them down or argue or win the debate or be mean to them and hurt them as much as they have hurt you. And not only is the Bible here telling us not to do something, saying avoid responding, but then it says where to bless, to turn and actually do something good for them. <laughs> it's easier to just hit reply or put an emoji online than to actually turn around and bless somebody and respond in a positive way. At least it would be easier for me to respond in that way. Um, it's easier for me to get in my car, go home, get in my house, and avoid this altogether. <laughs> Pretend it didn't happen. Avoid that person that is causing trouble. Get out of their way. And sometimes that is the necessary thing. You see, Peter here, he's lifting off, and I counted eight different things. He says, unity, sympathy, love, tender heart, humble mind, uh, do not repay evil, do not revile, and then finally bless. So is this how we do it? We just get out of our checklist and go, okay, I did this, 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 and this. Is that what, what it is? It's just like a recipe here, a formula that we can follow? Is it that simple? If you just take verse 8, look at verse 8. The things here have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a, a humble mind. Those are all tied with our, our emotions. Uh, there, there's some feelings there. But then there's some connectedness. These are all to the, the community of believers. And you, one of my favorite words here is the word for tender heart, just because it's fun to say in the Greek. It's splak. And uh, you need to have splak. Now, and that, that word, whenever you see it, it's important because it's a deep, it's in your gut is what it means. It's a feeling in your gut. It's that deep. It's not this light, you know, feathery love. It's a deep affection when you really care for somebody, when you really are invested in their interest above your own. It's not something you can just conjure up and choose to do. It's supernatural, really. And, and that's what the body of Christ is, right? It says to have brotherly love. Love amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ in a unity of mind because the gospel is central. And so it's not just uniformity, uh, thinking all the same way, but it's unity, thinking of the same Christ, the same goals that Christ has for us. And, and the word there, it says that we are to have a humble mind or a lowly mindset, to think of others, as it says in Philippians, think of others as better than yourselves. Do you notice how he starts here? And, and these all apply to us personally. We're to do these, but each and every one of these 
happens in the context of church, in community. If we're going to live out this love others and love our neighbors and love our enemies, it begins in the local church. It begins with one another. If we can't do this together, those who know we're forgiven by Christ and that he's transformed our lives, and if we can't humble ourselves and serve one another, how are we to do that with the worst? And so it begins from within, within community. And we need community because community encourages us because this is hard. This is a difficult command. We need to have examples that we see, and we'll look at some of those later on, that are doing this and have done this. And we need others to help us do it and say, I know you're in a tough spot right now, but we're praying for you. We're lifting you up. Stay strong. Believe and follow, just as the songs say, that God is in control. You see, I can't conjure up affection or sympathy or unity, um, but whenever you have those, they don't just stay there. They lead to an action. And I want you to feel the tension if you read those. Just be like, that's hard to accomplish, and it's supposed to be, because none of those things come naturally. They come through the work of the Holy Spirit in us and amongst us. That's why Jesus sent him, to bring us together. And so if we're going to be unoffendable, then we need to be reworked from the inside out. Notice before we get to any actions of what we're supposed to do, something has to happen in our heart first before we change how we interact in the world. And so as we look at that, we, we realize that a changed life begins with a changed heart. A changed life begins with a changed heart. Heart. And that's how it all begins, isn't it? When we start, you know, we have our eyes opened up to the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes in us and says we are made a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that heart, that's our inner being, our character, our affections are stirred. Our motivations are stirred. And so if we want to have a changed life, it happens on the inside. But the thing is, it takes time. You don't just flip a switch. God works in us over time. And I, one of my favorite things to do, I've probably shown a million of these things over the years, is I love transformation videos and just how we can capture with stop-motion camera and all these uh, time-lapse cameras. Just you could, They have films of plants growing underground, and you could see a city or a house built up over time, and you just hit fast-forward, and it seems like, oh, look at that. It all goes up so quick. It really happens over months, and many of the changes, we don't see what's going on. We may not notice it until later on. So I thought, what a great way to look at that is, is looking at our kids. And so when we started Incline Church, we went around. Uh, this was uh, uh, three years ago, and of course it was January. It was snowy, but all those kids and everybody, we all went out and we did door hangers in the neighborhood, in the snow, to say, hey, a new church is coming. Come and join us. And then uh, this past summer, had a little trip with the same group of kids. And uh, they're all quite a bit bigger now. And I know that grandparents, parents, you see this. Like, you have the kids with you all the time. And, and then one day you look and you're like, your ankles are showing on your pants. <laughs> when did that happen? You've grown. 
I mean, I can stare and stare at my child for hours, but I don't literally see them grow. You just, you notice it over time. That's the same with our spiritual walk with God. That sometimes you're just going one step at a time, obeying, 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 and then you stop and you look back and you're like, wow, God, you've been at work. There, there are some changes. There are often it's people around you that notice. They'll be like, you know, over the last eight months, there's been something a little bit different about you. And so uh, that change happens over time. And heart transformation begins with the gospel. It's the gospel we return to over and over to understand why we're sinning, what we're not trusting about that what Jesus has done for us in our lives and what we need to trust and, and the hope we have for eternity that reminds us that there is more to come, as we sang this morning. And Peter here goes on to talk about this and begins to point us to Christ. If you look ahead to um, chapter 3, verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so he's pointing to Christ. He's saying, Christ is your example in all of this. He's the one that has done this. He's the one that has suffered. And in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So Jesus, beaten and scorned and put on trial unfairly, did not return their reviling or their insults with insults. In fact, on the tree, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed for those who were persecuting him, even while he was nailed to the cross. He suffered on our behalf. He is our perfect example of how to love those who persecute you, isn't he? You see, changed hearts are empowered by the Holy Spirit um, to live and to show love. Uh, Peter says, for this is why you were called. You were called to live this out. You were called to live like Christ in the world so that people can see Christ in you. This is part of your calling, is to walk through this and to deal with suffering and persecution and people who speak against you and insult you. And so as we do that, we begin to show that changed hearts are empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to live and show love and to actually put this into practice, not just talk about it on a Sunday morning, to actually be unoffendable. That's why I started out today just letting you stop and think. Am I applying what God is teaching me or am I just taking it in? In the United States, we are at a place where we get to go to a buffet you can go online, you can go uh, to blogs, you can go to podcasts and listen to great teaching and preaching. There's so many awesome books out there. But the problem is if we just keep taking it in and we're not being transformed and applying it and living it out, we become spiritually fat and ineffective and out of shape. So Peter here in 
back in chapter 3, he moves on right after these statements, and, and then he, he refers us to Psalm 34 in verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord. So he's telling us that, listen, you have the opportunity to control your tongue and to make a difference. And often when I'm in a a book and I'm like, okay, I, I understand the concept here, but how does that, what do we actually do? What are steps we can take to begin to see this kind of transformation in our lives and to see the ability to be unoffended and love our neighbor? Well, just looking through the book of Peter and different commentaries and things, I put together some steps that are just within this book that are echoed, I think, throughout the um, New Testament. But uh, Peter's trail to transformation, I would call it. The first is deal with sin. In, In verse 10 and 11, he says, you know, you need to keep your tongue from evil. Turn away from evil, he says. Turn away from it. And that's what we just read in verses 3 and 5 of chapter 4. Um, that we are to not live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, drinking, parties, lawlessness. He says when we do that, the people around us are surprised that we don't participate. In fact, it even says there in that quote from Psalms and, and in verse 7 up above it says it. That when we aren't following Christ, when there's sin in our lives, it can hinder our prayers. And prayers are how we relate to God. It's how we make requests of God. It's how we build our relationship with God. I don't want my prayers hindered. And when we're aware of a sin and we don't deal with it, that's what can happen. And so repenting and coming to the Lord, just saying, Lord, realign my life and my heart with you, is a key step uh, that we can follow. The next is, and honestly, I could swap these. I think you need both. Um, But desire Jesus, that's been throughout this book. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good back in chapter 2? And I love tying it back and then taking a moment here to look over the whole of this one letter, this one document that God recorded for us to see how it all ties together. I don't know if you've ever tried to uh, teach your kids math, but we got a third grader and then seventh grader and then a freshman and uh, anything below that I can do. Um, but in math, right, you get to these harder problems. Uh, Ezra's doing long division now. So uh, if you do long division, you're like, well, you need to remember how to multiply. And then you've got to remember under here how to line them up and do subtraction with 300 minus 173. You've got to line it all up. Otherwise, your answer's going to come out wrong. Then Oh, do you remember how to carry that number? And he's like, what are you talking about, carry the number? I'm like, oh, they use all these new terms now. And I was like, I can, ex- I can do your math for you, but I can't teach you how to do it. 
that's uh, always been my challenge, but you need to remember the prior steps and prior skills you've learned. The same is true with going through the scriptures. We've got to learn and then keep adding to what we've learned. So when we go back and remember um, what it said in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, when it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men and, and the sight of God, chosen and precious, acceptable in his sight. And in verse 3 it says that if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That's that idea of an infant that just desires to eat and is hungry. That's why we're glad to have Josh and Alex back with us because they bring their infant with them. Our little baby is back. And so it's that desire. Do we desire, just as an infant craves that nourishment, do we desire Christ in relationship? That's why I say it's this desiring Jesus and uh, dealing with sin are hand in hand. Because if we desire Jesus, we're going to recognize things that hurt that relationship. And whenever we get into this, then we are indeed driven to prayer. And prayer is impacted, as I said, by our choices. And prayer is how we build that relationship with God and talk through things. And then uh, as we step forward, then we need to determine to be unoffendable, to resolve to apply this to a real situation. Do not repay evil for evil. So if you have that opportunity, or, or reviling for reviling, and guess what? I've learned this. Even if I'm in a vehicle or in a room looking online, I'm saying it out loud and I'm just frustrated, I'm still reviling even though I may not have that person right in front of me. I don't want to let my heart go there. And so we need to intentionally choose to follow God. And that's, that, that's harder to do than to say, but it starts in our home, starts with our, with our spouse, right? Choosing not to be offended by little things or with our, our kids or our siblings or our parents um, or in your car as you're driving or your social feeds or even within our own church body. Are we aware of these things and actually applying them? More than just attending services and doing things, are we applying it? Because throughout this whole book, Peter tells us over and over, do good, do good, do good. And what did he say as citizens? He said, you need to honor those God has put in authority and be known for doing good. If you look throughout history, even when Christianity had its big boom and expansion, it's because they were known for doing good when the plagues hit. They're the ones that walked into that storm and in early Roman times went in and they're the ones who served the least of these when no one else would. That was part of the great expansion of the early church, was doing good. You know, sometimes that old saying goes that sometimes God doesn't change your circumstances because he desires to change you. Circumstances might get changed later, but he's working on you. And Paul declared we are saved by grace through faith so that no man can boast. But what's it say right after that famous verse? It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've got to walk in them. 
We've got to walk in the good works. We've got to choose to do good. We've got to look for the opportunities to do good, to serve those who are causing trouble for us. And we should excel at this within the church, shouldn't we? A unity of mind and this brotherly love that we have by doing good. Because changed hearts change lives. So just to make sure you're with me here this morning, can you repeat that? Change hearts, change lives. Go ahead and say it. That's right. Sometimes we have to, to say it, to hear our mouths say it, so that it can work its way down into our hearts. So if we're going to apply this, I think we need to really be praying and striving for being the most unoffendable church we can with one another. We got a problem, let's just take care of it. Talk it through in love because our goal is always unity and love, not victory or being right or personal preferences. But see, ultimately, this reminds me, and all of this reminds me, that uh, we're dealing with humans. <laughs> and they may be our enemy, they may believe differently, they may hate me, but they're humans. And Christ died for humans. He became a human and walked amongst us because he loves us and he created us in his image. Therefore, the people who are against us are created in his image. In March 1944, three months before the Allies invaded Normandy, there's a reverend by the name of Howard Johnson that was asked to put together a, a service marking the anniversary of the inauguration of President Franklin Roosevelt, a celebration for the nation to, to, to really pick spirits up. And so uh, he began to put in his service uh, psalms and uh, a lesson from the scriptures, hymns, and then he added prayer for our enemies. And uh, this was a piece of liturgy written by uh, the Reverend William Temple at the beginning of World War II, um, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time. Several clergymen saw this order and they said, you need to omit that prayer. And then it was the uh, person who was the Secretary of Labor uh, wrote and said, there are problems if word gets out that the nation's top leaders are going to be praying for our America's bitter enemies. He said it would be misunderstood throughout the country. Publicity would be terrible for the president. And the Christian injunction to pray for our enemy was not understood by enough people. So they shouldn't do it. Well, they gave it to the president. President Roosevelt looked it over. And not next to that prayer, he said, this is very good. I like it. Keep it in there. And on that day, they asked for God to help in the battle against the darkness and the evil rulers. But then they prayed for them as well leading our nation at the time in that. You see, loving our enemy doesn't earn you the reward of heaven, but treasuring the reward of heaven empowers you to love your enemy. There's an author, um, Arthur C. Brooks, and he wrote a book called Love Your Enemies. He wrote many books for the American Enterprise Institute, and in that book he shared that um, he'd written a 300-page book and put all he had into it, and he got a letter and it went through, listing over 300 mistakes, calling him a hypocrite, a fake, and an unauthorized author, and mocking him, and putting down each and every piece. 
in every chapter in the book, saying you're inadequate as a researcher and a person. You are a fraud, Professor Brooks. He was upset. How did he respond? He thought, well, I could ignore the guy. I could insult him, or I could destroy each and every one of his arguments because I've done the work on this, and I know I can put him down. But as he thought and prayed about it, to his credit, he chose a fourth path. And that fourth path was to simply say this. You know what? I appreciate that you read that book. I put hours and hours and time and effort into writing it. And I, therefore, appreciate and understand the hours and hours and time you put in to responding to it. The end. He didn't reply insult for insult. He just respectfully replied. In the town of uh, Athens, Texas, a small little town, there was a, an article written um, and a protest against the nativity scene. And uh, at the lead of this protest and getting people together was an atheist couple. And uh, they were just so angry that the city would put up a nativity scene. Well, within a few months after that, this man hit hard times and and had a very difficult medical challenge ahead of him. And at the time, he didn't have insurance um, to cover it. And the people that he very protested against got together. Somebody had heard about it. And they gathered up money and blessed him with it. And then he said this. He said, my wife and I had never actually seen a Christian do anything nice for us. They they always just told us things, but they never did anything. And it began to change his heart. There was an Armenian nurse um, during a war that had been held captive along with her brother by the Turks. And her brother was slain by a Turkish soldier before her own eyes. As the war went on... uh, She was in the hospital taking care of many soldiers, and once she went in and she fell back stunned. One of the enemy soldiers had been captured, and it was the very man who killed her brother. And everything within her wanted vengeance on him, hated him. And she writes, a stronger voice called me to love. And as she nursed that man back to health, finally recuperating, he looked at her and says, Why didn't you just let me die? Her answer was, I'm a follower of him who said, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Change hearts, change lives, and bring glory to Jesus in a way that no other act does in our culture. It's amazing what walls they tear down. And I realize that we're not all going to walk out of here today and have a direct situation to apply this or to have our hearts ready to apply this. But I want to encourage you to take the small steps, do the small things to invest in your relationship with Jesus. Um, Often spiritual warfare in these kinds of battles are won in the quiet places where we take time to get ready for the battle before it even hits, to anchor ourselves in prayer and um, in time with our Lord, Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And so in closing this morning, I'm going to pray this prayer, but I'm going to give you a few moments uh, to just read over it, and you may want to pray your own prayer. It's just a prayer I put together, just an unoffendable prayer, and you're welcome to take a screenshot, or I can send it out later this week if it would help you in your, in your walk with the Lord. Uh, but weaved in it is often when we pray, we can pray Scripture and talk to the Lord and, and, um, 
and, and weave that within our prayers because then we know we're praying truth. And so I just want to give you a moment to pray and just ask the Lord to help you to get your heart in a place where you could actually love your enemy and bless those who persecute you. To do something kind for that neighbor that is just ugh, doesn't respect you. To do something kind for that person at work who makes everything harder on you and maybe even talks behind your back. What would it look like to love them? That's the question you have to ask. Just say, Lord, what would it look like for me to love this person who's being so difficult right now? And sometimes, as Jesus said, the place to start is just to pray for those who persecute you. Because when I pray, <laughs> it's hard to pray for somebody and not have your heart changed towards them. Try it. So I'll give you a moment here just to pray, and then I'll close this with this prayer. Heavenly Father, search us and know our ways. Lord, test our hearts, shaping and molding them into the likeness of Jesus. Lord, increase our desire for a deep relationship with Jesus. Help us to stay faithful and focused on your word. Guide us into dealing with sin. Holy Spirit, drive our hearts to reliant and expectant prayer for those who come against us. By your strength, help us to be unoffendable. Father, show us the good works you have prepared for us that we may walk in them. And by your grace and for your glory, we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now please stand as we sing our final song uh, together this morning. <laughs>